And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. It is 3 p.m. and up next is Cover to Cover Open Book. Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover. I am Malihe Razozan. Black flags have covered the Youth Freedom Theater in Jenin refugee camp in the occupied West Bank, where Israeli filmmaker, rights activist, and artistic director of the theater, Giuliano Merhamis, was murdered by a masked gunman on Monday. What did Giuliano Merhamis represent? A hope for the future of Israel-Palestine or a threat to the colonial status quo? The son of a Jewish mother and a Palestinian father, Giuliano Merhamis was symbolically bisected by Israel's apartheid wall, but through his courage and commitment, he managed to transcend the racist, separatist dogma of Zionism, and in 2006, ended up founding the Freedom Theater, dedicating his life to running it for Janine's youth and their communities. He called himself a son of both peoples, he said, I am 100% Palestinian and 100% Jewish. The vision for the Freedom Theater came from Giuliano's mother, Arna, during the first intifada, and the theater became a space for children to escape and cope with a continuing brutal Israeli occupation. Theater students released a statement on Tuesday morning saying, Giuliano, your mother's children have passed away. Your mother Arna has passed away, and so did you. But your children are going to stay following your path on the way to the freedom battle. And we will go on with your revolution's promise, the Jasmine's revolution. The statement was signed, Giuliano's children. Today we remember Giuliano Merhamis with a 2005 conversation he had with UC Berkeley history professor Bishara Dumani about his award-winning documentary film, Arna's children. Hello, this is Bishara Dumani coming at you from Berkeley, California, 94.1 KPFA, this nation's oldest listener-supported station. I'm speaking with Giuliano Merchamis, the co-producer and co-director of the powerful documentary released in 2004 called Arna's Children. When the documentary came out, it caused quite a stir because it was about very lovable young boys, 9, 10, 11 years old, who participated in a theater group started by Arna, Giuliano's mother, a Jewish-Israeli committed to helping the Palestinians achieve their right for self-determination and freedom through non-violent means of expressing their feelings, their anger, their frustration uh, through art and theater. The film starts with the play that these young children put on, which Giuliano helped to direct, and ends with the death of most of the characters in this play in the battle for Janine and the fighting before and after that battle in what is known as the Second Intifada or Al-Aqsa Intifada. These young aspiring actors become Palestinian fighters who would die at a very young age. 
and they would line up with each other again, not as young actors in a theater play, but uh, as uh, posters on the wall of uh, Palestinian martyrs. Giuliano Merhamis took some incredible footage when he came back to Janin after the battle for Janin in 2002 to check on these young boys to find out that most of them were killed and he joined the rest of them who were members of a Palestinian armed militia, Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade, for about six months as they played cat-mouse games with the Israeli military. And this was the first time that we have footage, really, of these usually faceless and nameless people. The only thing we know about them are through these numbingly routine announcements by the Israeli military that on such and such a date, so many, um, one, two, three, four, five Palestinian militants have been killed. And we don't know anything about them. This is the first film that really goes to see the way that these young peoples live what they think, and why they're doing what they're doing. This film is also exceptional because it comes at a time when many people are talking about suicide attacks and why are young people so willing to give their lives for these causes. And this film really asks this question in a very big way. How could these young boys later on, at least one or two of them, uh, commit suicide missions inside of Israel? And, And what does it mean? really, to be living under occupation at that time. Welcome, Giuliano. Good evening. Giuliano, when did you decide to do this film, Arna's Children? Actually, I was shooting during the whole process of the project, and the project started in the 90s. And the aim of this shooting was for imperial purposes. We're making a small film, sending it in the United States to get some money for the project. This is a project about your the theater that your mother started in Janine. Yes, the theater was the peak of the project, but the project was much bigger than the theater. It was uh, five cultural centers in each neighborhood, and in each center there were uh, psychodrama, learning, uh, reading and writing, paintings and music. And the theater was the peak of the project when my mother got the alternative Nobel Prize for her work in Janine, and she got a lot of money, and she invested this money in uh, building this theater, and because I was an actor, so I took the part of uh, directing and creating a theater group. And all this time, I was, uh, as a hobby, I was shooting with my uh, private camera, and unfortunately, five years later, those boys of the theater became freedom fighters of the Intifada. One of them committed a suicide attack in uh, Hedera in Israel. Uh, the other one became the leader of uh, Kataib al-Aqsa. It's a military brigade. The other three were killed during the uh, fighting in Jenin. In 2002, yeah. Yeah, I really started the film when I saw I was sitting in my house during the siege on Jenin. Nobody could get in or out, and I was watching the news from Al Jazeera, and uh, suddenly I saw uh, the face of one of my students lying dead after a suicide attack in Israel. Uh, his name was Yusuf uh, Sweti, and though I was in a shock, I just picked up the phone and called my producer. Uh, forced her to buy me a camera and uh, I managed to smuggle myself into Jenin. It was a closed military area and I found uh, those boys who became freedom fighters and I just joined them with my camera. I stayed in the camp six months. I could not get out and uh, during the shooting of their actions and activity I discovered every day what happened to the boys of the theater and uh, 
was very sad that most of them were killed and the others died during the shooting, especially the main character of the film, which was my close friend, Alai Sabar. He was the leader of the Lights of Brigade. And then I got out from the camp and I started to edit the film in Amsterdam with a very um, nice and very known producer, Peter Van Heiste. And unfortunately, uh, when I finished the editing with um, my friend, uh, the co-director, Daniel Daniel, nobody uh, was still alive in Jenin except one which is now leading the Electric Brigade, the Garia's baby. Not the film, the reality of the film is still going in Jenin, but the film is his own end, and you mentioned it before, they all ended up as posters on the walls of the refugee camp of Jenin as martyrs. The young people in the film uh, gave a very different version of events from the one that the outside world saw, in the sense of they saw these incredible columns of a huge military machine, the Israeli military machine, the bulldozers, the tanks, etc., go in Jenin, and a few days later, the camp is mostly destroyed. So many people are dead. And they see a, a process of victimization going on, a massacre. Yet when you went there, these young people uh, really gave a very different perspective on the issue, didn't they? they you, you saw them full of life, trying to fight for what they believed in. And they, they don't feel that they were just simply passive victims, but they were trying to change the world in which they lived. Yeah, I think two main things were I was affected by very, very strong. They were my friends, they were people, they had faces, families, history, and dreams, wishes. This was the key of my, as a director of, of, of my wishes to, to bring uh, to people around the world. Uh, as I knew them, uh, I wanted people to touch those people, not through the uh, CNN and BBC perspective of war on terrorism, but as human beings with faces, with history, with dreams. And the other thing, uh, those boys were fighting to be free, not to destroy, as the propaganda trying to uh, impose on them the uh, destroying of Israel or destroying the West or destroying whatever or being a terrorist. Those people were... Even, I can say, were enforced to pick up arms or to fight back because they were attacked. Not only their freedom was attacked, but they were attacked in their houses in Jenin. And this is, was very important for me. And third thing, which was very important also for the boys and the guys in Jenin, was to show that there is a resistance, an aware political resistance, they are not being slaughtered as sheep as uh, some parts of the Palestinian propaganda and other propaganda tried to uh, picture what was happening in Jenin. It was very important for them to prove to the world that they stood up for the right. When I talked to them, the images of being poor and, and crying for help or whatever, and they pushed me all over the editing process to overcome my feelings, and they said, Please, just don't pity and don't let people feel some pitiness for us. We are fighting and we're going to keep on fighting and we, we feel uh, we have the just cause on our side and uh, we hope that your film will uh, deliver this message to the world and I did my best to do it. Giuliano, but these were still, when they died, young men, 18, 19 years old. 16 and 14. Yes, yeah, some of them. And how much do they really know, I mean, about the world? This is almost 
almost at the end of their childhood in many ways. And uh, I could see from the very rare and, and incredible footage that you have of having actually sort of lived, so to speak, behind enemy lines, uh, of, of living with these young men and how they were hiding for their lives and yet confronting these tanks with machine guns in a, in a, a hopeless yes. situation. And which raises sort of, you know, some moral issues for the Palestinians as well as for the Israelis. That is to say, when you saw Yusuf's face in Hadera, people he managed to kill on that suicide mission were mostly women who happened to be there. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that created all sorts of mixed feelings for you. Can you tell me about your feelings about that and whether these kinds of discussions took place during the six months you were there with these young men when you were... Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm happy that you mentioned Yusuf because this is a real uh, phenomenon. I mean, Yusuf represents... Yusuf is the prototype of most suicide bombers or the most suicide attackers in Palestine. And you can see Yusuf in the film since he was uh, 12 years old. He's the only guy in the camp who uh, the word love was in his mouth. His dreams was to be uh, Omar Sharif, uh, a movie star. He was pushing me to uh, bring Jewish-Israeli actors to meet them in Jenin. He was pro-Oslo agreements. He spoke about peace. And imagine this boy becomes a suicide bomber. And this question bothered me so much. And one of the aims of my film was to, like, research, to understand what happened to this Yusuf. I mean, if Yusuf was playing with guns when he was young, or uh, he was a very strong guy who was looking for fights, I could uh, understand. But this boy, nobody could even dream or, or think that this boy can do such a thing. His, his friends uh, tell a story in the film which was very moving about a 10-year-old girl that died in his arms and how he's changed after that. Yeah, yeah, and this was my research after why, what happened to him. And it's not only the girl, the girl, look, in the film you cannot put all uh, what happened to people in Jenin, but I brought the most strong thing that affected him, and a girl was hit by a, a tank shell, and she was uh, thrown to pieces, and uh, he was the first one to pick her pieces into his shirt in a, sh a state of shock and he took her to the hospital uh, in pieces because he was in a shock he, he thought he could uh, uh, save her life and since then his life changed and uh, next time uh, we know is the suicide attack but uh, look I was in Jenin I know many suicide bombers that came out of Jenin and I can tell you honestly I believe that if the Palestinians had Apache or tanks or other means to fight with them the huge war machine, the Israeli war machine, they wouldn't choose to suicide. I think the suicide attacks or the suicide phenomena is not a genetical or uh, something that we are born with. The situation in Jenin, and it's very hard to understand those people from outside, from nice houses or from Europe or for people who are not living in this kind of circumstances. But when you see how those people uh, losing their houses, brothers, parents humiliated, uh, they are closed in a refugee camp, in curfews and sieges, and you almost not only can understand, but sometimes you even can identify with this despair, with this despair actions of suicide bombers, which I think at the end they made a lot of damage to the Palestinian coast, but it was not a tactic or strategy. It was... Uh, 
desperate actions of people who prefer to die than be living dead in a living closed poverty, in curfews, in demolished houses with dead brothers, uh, arrested fathers. Uh, the only thing they could do is to kill themselves and in a way to make some damage or to hurt the enemy. Juliana, one of the most moving scenes in the film is the picture of Ala when he was 10 years old sitting on the wreckage of his home that was blown up by the Israelis and then you have him several years later as a leader of the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigade and he says, I will never surrender, it's either freedom or death and within a minute you have footage of his dead body Yeah. and this was very much near the end of the shooting of the film, was it not? Yes, he died when I was in the camp, and the scene when Allah is sitting on the ruins of his house when he was 10 years old, it was the day when I found him. I was looking for children for the theater, and I was just walking around the camp looking for children in, in no, no other intentions, and I was shooting the children I was looking for, and I found Allah sitting on his ruins, and under the ruins were his another friend, Ashraf, and unfortunately, he also died in front of my camera in the camp. Uh, he was uh, assassinated by uh, a missile shot from helicopter, from Israeli helicopter. Uh, with him uh, was, was also killed another friend. Uh, yeah, and Allah knew that uh, he has two alternatives. Be free or be killed or be in jail for the rest of his life. Well, this is quite amazing because the film opens up with your mother diagnosed with terminal cancer. And a reporter asks her, but she's very active, uh, even though she, you know, she has lost her hair due to chemotherapy. She's very active in putting together the celebration of uh, five years of the theater. She's very busy. And the reporter looking at her with all this energy she's exuding says, how long can you keep this up? And she says, I only have two choices. As long as this project Go, is no. going, I'll only stop when I'm dead. Or if this project is finished, which of course we all know won't be finished in her lifetime. So she also faced, and she gives a speech about after that about freedom. And it almost echoes uh, the words of uh, Allah so many years later. So part of Arna in many ways is still yeah. inside of him. Allah was his favorite, was her favorite uh, boy. He was very talented. He was a painter. You know, uh, I, I can say my, my mother fought the occupation till uh, the last day of her life. And uh, when she died, all those boys did whatever they could to escape from the camp because, you know, Palestinians cannot go out of the camp to, into Israel. And most of them uh, succeeded to arrive to the uh, place where she was buried in. And I'm talking about walking about 45 kilometers at night, and Bala was there, and Yusuf, and Ashraf, and uh, Nidal, they all are dead now, and it was very exciting. I could not put it in the film because there was no time, and you know, you cannot put everything. But yes, I think... Well, this this is quite something. These are people who are being hunted, and they go inside of Israel not to shoot, but to actually attend the funeral of a Jewish Israeli. Uh, your your mother is a very special person, of course, uh, because she started off with the Palmach, which is this underground military organization of the Zionist movement that was fighting to establish the state of Israel. Later joined the Communist Party, where she met your father, a Palestinian. 
and after 1967 sort of adopted the Janin camp uh, as the the place from where she will struggle against that occupation. Can you tell us a little bit about how your mother met your father and what your life was like to live in a situation where people are not supposed to get married to our Palestinian and Israeli Jew? And how has it affected you personally? Well, my mother was uh, in the Palmach, the uh, Jewish brigade who fought for the creating of Israel. And not only uh, as a regular fighter, she was the driver of one of the main officers, which was also killed during the Intifada by the uh, Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, Ze'ev Gandhi. Oh, really? Yes, she was his driver. <laughs> she was his driver. He's a far right-wing a uh, minister who was assassinated in the Jerusalem Hotel. Yes. And he was with the ideology of transferring the Arabs out of uh, Israel and out of the territories. But anyway, the uh, breaking point with this uh, Jewish brigade was when she participated in uh, expelling uh, Arabs from some parts of Israel. And uh, I would, I, she was talking about it a lot of times. Uh, this was uh, shocking for her because at this moment she realized uh, where this Zionist project is going on. And uh, she left those days, the Palmar, and uh, she was looking for uh, an organization she could participate in uh, with her political agenda. And uh, her dream was, at least that's what uh, she was told when she was in the Zionist movement, that we are going to create a Jewish state uh, together, be national, living with the Arabs uh, side by side. But on the ground, it was exactly the opposite. So she decided to join the Communist Party, uh, which in those days uh, was the slogan of the Communist Party was to create a binational state for all its citizens living together. And there she met my father, Salib Hamid, and it was a big scandal. Imagine a Jewish woman from the Palmach. Uh, her father was a very known Zionist figure, uh, marrying in, in a Palestinian, and not only Palestinian, but also communist. Uh, you must see the papers, the newspapers from those days. The reaction was very hard. She was expelled from Roshpina, the uh, village she was living in, the Jewish village in the Galilee, who was built on the ruins of Arab village, of course, the Jaunia, like most of the uh, Israeli settlements. And uh, she was abandoned by her family. And she had uh, to leave uh, the Jewish part of Israel, and she went to live in Nazareth, which was an Arab uh, town, Palestinian Arab town, in uh, inside the Israeli new borders. And she joined the Communist Party, and she started to be active against the uh, discrimination and oppression of the Palestinians inside Israel, and against the occupation uh, in the, uh, the occupied territories. Well, was she ostracized most of her life? I mean, for example... Uh when she died, was she buried in her hometown, Rashkin, or When she died, we could not bury her anywhere. She refused to be buried as a Jew in a religious ceremony. And in Israel, you cannot be buried in a civil, uh, non-religious way. And the Christian uh, church also refused to bury her because they were afraid to create a uh, new thing and they were afraid, I think, to uh, be in conflict with the Jewish side. The, the Muslims also refused because they cannot, uh, they, they didn't know how to handle this. 
uh, Jewish women who uh, had to be buried in their cemetery. What happened at the end, I had to bring the coffin with her body into my house in Haifa, and it was in my house three days. And there were a lot of people in the house. I'm talking about hundreds of people. And uh, at the end, I made a newspaper conference, and uh, we all children announced that if we don't have a place to bury our mother, we're going to bury her in the garden of our house. And police came, and there was a big demonstration here. And at the end, some guy from a kibbutz, with a left orientation, of course, political, they called us and they agreed to bury her in their kibbutz uh, in non-religious way. But uh, it's, uh, I remember, I remember I, those days. I said it, it, it's not only hard to live in Israel; it's also hard to die in Israel. Well, this is quite a moving story. Um, it's difficult to know where to go from here. That was not in the film. No, no. Only the part of you having the coffin in your car, picking your mother up, was yeah, in the film, which was unusual. Yeah. Because the film, the main thing in the film is the children. It was not about my mother. Of course, my mother is a very dominant character because she leads the story. But uh, I tried not to make it, not to make this film uh, uh, about her because first she didn't want to be uh, worshipped or to be memorized as a, as, a, as a hero. She hated all this aspect of her struggle, and it, it was her request to minimize her because she knew I'm doing this film and every time I was interviewing the end of the interview was uh, a request to minimize her and to concentrate on the project and on the children of Janine and I did my best to follow her request Giuliano Merhamis was killed by a masked assailant in front of the Freedom Theater in Janine, which he founded in 2006. He spoke with Bashara Dumani in July of 2005. In a statement released by his family, they remember Giuliano Merhamis as someone who dedicated his life to love, people, and freedom. For more information about Giuliano Merhamis' life and work, and the Freedom Theater, please visit their website at thefreedomtheater.org.
I'm Alihe Razazan and you have been listening to Open Book, Friday's edition of Cover to Cover on KPFA in Berkeley, KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned for free speech radio news coming up next. radio producer? Do you want the stories from your community to be on the air? Would you like to gain the skills to engineer a live broadcast? Then the First Voice Apprenticeship Program may be the place for you. You can learn more about First Voice by tuning in to special programming on Saturday, April 30th from 9 a.m. to noon here on KPFA. You'll hear highlights from the Apprenticeship Magazine show, Full Circle. There'll be a variety of music, all recorded by First Voice participants, along with this 